Hello, welcome to You Don't Know Mojack. My name's Ryan. My name's Brent. And this episode, we're discussing SST 230, The Last Awakening LP. It's been a while since we've had a recording by The Last on the show, and we love that band. Last time we had Joe Nolte on, but this time, Brent, we've got some extra special guests. Yeah, they're not even really guests this week. They're kind of like co-hosts or something. We've got... Ah, yeah, we, true. We've got Jeff and Soraya on from the Paisley Stage Raspberry and Rhyme podcast. Yeah, it's so cool to have Jeff and Soraya on. They had us on their show, and then they lowered themselves <laughs> and joined us on our show. <laughs> Um, but it's so it's so cool to have them on. They're really experts mm-hmm. about the last and the Paisley Underground scene, which, as as you'll hear in a few minutes, you know, arguably, and I think we touched on this during the the last Confessions uh, release as well. How you know the last arguably was the inspiration for the Paisley Underground. So mm-hmm. they're definitely great co-hosts to have, and they'll join us like right when we throw to History Lesson Part 1, which is also new for us and very, very cool. Such nice people, very knowledgeable. I kind of feel like when we do our Mojack wind-up, Brant, remember the wind-up? Of course I remember, the ever-evolving. The wind-up, <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, okay. So when we get our Econoline van and we finally meander our way down for the wind-up party, it's mm-hmm. in California, of course, Right. Um, but I feel like we're, don't forget, we're making a stop in Chicago now, though. Chicago, we're going to go record shopping. By the way, Reckless Records. That's okay. where I've... And Wax Tracks, well, probably. dude, we're going with, with John Corbett. Oh, dude, yeah, you're right. We're going to go where he says. Yeah, well, I always like to go to Reckless when I'm there. And I've never been to Wax Tracks, so mm-hmm. we'll see. Um, but I feel like as part of the wind-up road trip, we're going to have to hang with uh, Jeff and Sarai. I was thinking, you know... Record shopping, tacos, couple of pints on the beach, on a picnic bench. I can get behind that, man. Yeah. All right. Well, before we get into this release and hanging out with Jeff and Soraya, why don't you hit us with some spiels, Brent? Oh, wait. Is this 10 more cassette tapes? Yeah. Oh, okay. Good. (laughs) I've been waiting all week for this. Do it. Yeah. So last week I was spieling about some, some tapes I bought in this massive hall. So here we go. This is part two. These are the, like, honestly, there's a few I left behind. Um, and just, I'm filled with nothing but regret, but I'll find a way to move on. Not for long, though. You'll be back. Yeah. <laughs> you think anyone's going to buy them before you're back? <laughs> I don't know. I Well, you know how it is. Okay, uh, Black 47. Remember that band? I don't. Remind me. Okay, so I bought this tape called Fire of Freedom. It's their second release from 1993. We talked about them a month or so ago on the Kirk Kelly episode. They're a New York Celtic rock band. Super political. Lots of working class themes. I can see why Kirk brought them up. He mentioned them in our episode. Oh, okay. Okay. Um, I love it. Maybe a little overproduced, uh, but the songs are great. I'm on the hunt for more Black 47, for sure. Cool. Good reminder. Yep. Okay, speaking of Celtic Rock, an album I really should already own, but don't, and it's Shane McGowan and the Pope's album, The Snake. Essentially, Shane's first solo album with the band The Pope's backing him up, released in 1994. I hate to say it, but this was made kind of before Shane was too far gone to make good music. 
anymore. Oh, uh, it's killer. I don't know. Does Shane get the recognition he deserves as a songwriter? Do you think? No, I think I think other aspects of his life overshadow it. Yeah. I, I I can't recall anything where people really highlighted that about Shane. They really talk about you know tabloid shit when it the comes to him stuff. Yeah, yeah. don't don't His you think? Teeth. Yeah, I don't know. He really is one of the all-time greats and several tracks on this release really drive that point home. Mm-hmm. Um, total respect for him as a songwriter. Okay, Primal Screams fourth album and my favorite by them called Give Out But Don't Give Up. If they made more records like this one, uh, they'd be one of my favorite bands. It's got that ragged stones faces sound that I just love. Some real tipsy gypsy stuff going on here. In fact, it was recorded in Muscle Shoals to get that authentic sound Mm. uh, with like the Memphis horns playing on it and the Muscle Shoals rhythm section also playing on it. Nice. Um, I own the original that was came out on Creation along with the uh, the absolutely essential double disc reissue called the original Memphis recordings. It that has the original mix of the album and a bunch of outtakes on it. There is an excellent documentary on YouTube called The Memphis Tapes, and it's all about how they found the master tapes to this release, kind of, and the story behind it and why uh, George Draculis and George Clinton ended up remixing the album, uh, which was originally mixed by Tom Dowd. Amazing footage of them recording it. Just such a great record. A uh, David Hood, Patterson Hood's dad, is in the documentary. He plays on this. He's oh no way, yeah. Uh, and like they totally had respect for Primal Scream as hmm. songwriters, like all those Muscle Shoals dudes and Tom Dowd. So uh, it's it's a really cool documentary and an amazing record. A while back, uh, I went to uh, the Comp Zone for a Beggars Banquet comp called Spiked that had neo-psych bands from the 90s on it and that's where where i heard for the first time a band called the dark side which is a spaceman 3 spinoff uh so i got this tape it's like a sampler i guess that's how it was marketed anyways called guitar voodoo heavy duty wah-wah psychedelic rock it's good Hmm. I, i couldn't remember where i heard that band but i knew i'd heard of them and the tape was a buck so the dark side done Ryan, other than the junkyard tape I mentioned last week, (laughs) this next one might be my number one score on the tape haul. Um, I've seen this band King Horse on gig posters, and their album uh, had cover art by Pusshead. It came out on Caroline in 1990 and was produced by Glenn Danzig. So that has like... Good pedigree. Yeah, it's got all the triggers for me. Yeah, right? right? Yeah. (laughs) So I've wanted to hear it for a while now. Uh, They were a one-and-done Louisville band, uh, which is too bad because this totally rules. It uh, didn't disappoint. The members all came up in hardcore, found an excellent interview with vocalist Sean A. Garrison on the No Echo website, where they go through the whole history of the band. It's super interesting. He seems to suggest Glenn kind of diluted their sound and the Pusshead cover art, he thinks, misrepresented the music. Although mm-hmm. he, he acknowledges that both of those things help them, you know, get attention and sell records. Musically, they're more of a rock band with elements of metal and hardcore. They would have actually fit perfectly on a bill with Blast. Uh, Sean is a fantastic singer, too. Uh, kind of in the, he kind of reminds me of Neil Fallon of Clutch a little bit. 
you should track this down, Ryan. I think you'd like it. Yeah. Uh, I'm very happy I found this. That sounds cool. Yeah. I would agree. Scottish band, Ryan. Balaam and the Angel. Ever heard of them? No. And I just totally binged those Scottish docs a few weeks back, right? Yeah. I've always seen them mentioned in the same circles as Early Cult, Sisters of Mercy, The Mission, and all these kinds of goth rock bands from the 80s, which is right in my wheelhouse, but I've never bothered to check them out. Uh, they're just one of those bands. There were a few of their tapes there, but I went went with 1987's Live For Your Die, mainly because of the year and because of the cover art, which looks a lot like the cult electric cover mm. art. I wouldn't be surprised if it's the same artist. Barbarian clothing? Not the clothing. It's kind of <laughs> like the Celtic designs that oh, frame oh, the picture, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got you. Yeah. Okay. Um, but, I mean, they, the band looks amazing, you know? Um <laughs> Totally kicking myself for not picking up the rest of the tapes that they had, uh, because this is great. I was listening to this thinking to myself, there's no way some of these tracks weren't minor hits in the UK, but it appears as though that wasn't the case. Hmm. An another band I'll be digging further into ASAP. The next tape I'll mention, Ryan, I snatched off the shelf so fast I nearly sprained my wrist. It's... <laughs> <laughs> It's uh, the Translator album, Evening of the Harvest. Ah. I talked about this San Francisco band a couple months yeah. back when I was talking about the Bill Cobb book, uh, Disturbing the Peace, about San Francisco's 415 Records. Fell in love with this band after reading about them, and although I haven't heard all of their records just yet, I knew this one was considered a high watermark, and uh, man, it's just great. Produced by Ed Stasium, it's got a killer kind of live sound, very loose in the best way. You can tell by hearing it that they were for sure an amazing live band. Uh, I Need You to Love, the title track, Stony Gates of Time, um, easily the most listened to tape from the tape hall in the past three weeks. Love wow. it. Wow. Wow. Jayhawks. Oh, yeah. I love them. I, and I actually didn't have a copy of Tomorrow the Greengrass in any other format. It's, so uh, mm. I've heard it a ton, and it's one of my faves. So happy to fill that hole in my Jayhawks collection. Six degrees of Ginnovation, right? From the Jayhawks? Yeah. You're giving me a six degrees well, test like right now? Well, you're sick, so I'll, I'll take pity on you. Don't right. tell people I'm sick when I'm doing the show, man. <laughs> well, I got to think it has something to do... Maybe uh, via the Husker realm. Nope. You're gonna kill your kick yourself when I tell you this. Uh, hold hold on hold on. Don't don't just. I'm not. I am not at my best right now. But hang on a second now. Jayhawks. What's the name of that band that uh, down by the old mainstream? What's that record? Um, that the Jayhawks guys are in with uh, Soul Asylum guys. Oh man. I give up. I give up. Do it. Gary Lewis of the Jayhawks is in Golden Smog. Oh, that's the band. I was almost there. Golden Smog. Damn with, it. With Craig from the Westies. Well, who else though was in uh, Golden Smog? Oh, lots that, of people. Yeah, that can find their way to SST. There's got to be a few. Yeah. Well, yeah. it's kind of a Minneapolis supergroup, but uh, and I think various Jayhawks have gotten up on stage with the Westies and vice versa as well. So. Finally, Ryan, I picked up the first two albums by Warrior Soul. I love these records so much. Uh, 1989's debut, Last Decade, Dead Century, and the 1991 follow-up, Drugs, God, and the New Republic. 
both of these albums are full-on classics. I never get tired of, of both of them. Uh, they're totally packed with 90s hard rock classics. One of those weird bands that didn't really fit anywhere. Kind of like Faith Faith No More, not musically speaking. like They don't sound like Faith No More, but I compare no. them to Faith No More in the sense that um, lots of you know punks, just rockers, metalheads, and all points in between could be into Faith No More. But at the same time, they never really fit in with any scene. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yes, I do. Warrior Soul's kind of like that with me. Um, when I was in high school, it was the metalheads that liked that band. Yeah, they're not really a metal band, but like their first major tour was with Queen- Queensryche. And I love Queensryche, but that's a bad tour for Warrior Soul. And I think that's part of the reason they never got as huge as they actually should have been. Uh they certainly had the songs. Uh, both of these albums are just so chock full of absolute anthems to like disenfranchised teenagers. Uh, <laughs> and they stand up today. These are unsung classics, both of these albums. And Corey Clark is still releasing music under the name Warrior Soul to this day. He just put out a new album hmm. that I haven't heard yet, but really happy to, to pick those up. And I've been listening to those quite a bit too the last week or so. That's part two of my, my tape haul, Ryan. What do you have? Do you have a part three? Uh, I think, or is, that, or is that it? I think. Well, I bought more tapes, but <laughs> oh, well, well, you you should probably back clean up next week. I like hearing about these. You've given me a couple more recommends. Back yeah. clean up next week, okay? Maybe. Oh, maybe. Leave me hanging. Um, well, I have. Uh, I just have one spiel. Well, here, Ryan, I'll give you one more real quick. Hold tight. Okay. This, just let me grab this tape. This is kind of like. This is kind of like the direction we'd be going next week if if you wanted me to keep going. Can you see what, what that, that tape say? is? Lizzie Borden. That's metal, right? Is that? <laughs> yeah, that that's, is. That's metal. Yeah. Yeah. People uh, people like metal who listen to the show. I like listening to you talk about it. <laughs> Doesn't mean I'm going to check it out. All right. What do you have? All right. Uh, well, first of all, um, you already told people that i'm sick i'm sick as a dog this week so i don't i don't have a ton to to go with um but you did give me some homework and then i've got one spiel so you asked me to go and look at rick white's youtube channel because i mentioned eric's trip right elevator to hell elevator through elevator and then also rick white plays the sadies a new record that rick has put out and i also mentioned his other new band his hardcore band, Old. Right. Have you checked? Have you checked out Old yet? No, no. Uh, good reminder, Check. though. But I, I was thinking, Ryan. I so I sent you the link to his YouTube page because it's not quite as obvious. Like, no, I never would have found. You it. never would have found it. So, <clears throat> we, nope. did, did you actually take down the name of the the YouTube page so we can tell people what we're talking about? Yeah, it's called Headquake One Three Seven. Right. And yeah, I I never would have found it. And the, it's a, you know, when you look at the. Uh, I, I don't know what what do you call this the emoji the avatar for yeah. the page it's it's just a picture of a cat right and anyways Rick White mainstay of all those bands that I just mentioned and check out that band old by the way Brant yeah will do hardcore yep um anyways Rick White from from those bands uh, whom I've I've always loved and just recently got deeply back into he's got this YouTube channel where he makes the scale model vintage trucks turns them into radio control vehicles models 
he videotapes him creating them over dozens and dozens of hours from scratch, like by hand, totally. And then he uh, drives them over this, you know, terrain. And they are just spellbinding videos. And they have millions and millions of views. It's pretty wild, right? I mean, like the quality is unreal of what he builds. Yeah. yeah. It's, I, I would never have never have taken the time or never sought it out, but I definitely watched a couple and it was hard to look away. It's very, very cool. (laughs) Yeah. If anybody's checking it out, make sure you find one where he's making one of these things to like see the, the level of detail that he puts in. It's, it's insane. Very unexpected as you said it would be, but, but, uh, just goes to show, you know, someone who is very creative with music can be creative with a number of other things too. Right. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, okay, well, here's my my spiel. Only one this week. That's well, maybe I'll do one and a half real quick. I don't have much in the tank here, but uh, anyways, it's funny you mentioned Shane McGowan, and then what was the other Celtic band again that uh, Kirk Kelly mentioned? Black Forty Seven. Black Forty Seven. Okay, because for my first spiel, we're going to go to Ireland, and we're going to go to the Hope Collective. This is a a DIY collective from Dublin. Inspired by the punk community in 2017, the Hope Collective released a book to raise money for Syrian refugees called In Concert. Raised about 5,000 euros. A very cool group of people that do something like this. Got a bunch of contributors. And then I mentioned their book from 2020 on the show way, way back. They put out a book um, to assist NHS workers and patients during the COVID-19 pandemic, mm-hmm. they raised 10,000 euros. And this one was about great gig memories from punks and friends. And if you recall, Chuck Dukowski contributed, so did Joey Shithead, and many, many more. Well, the Hope Collective have a new book out. It's a, you know, as they call them, a benefit book. And when I saw this one, I went and bought this one so fast, I almost sprained my wrist, Brand. <laughs> Anyways, um, it's designed to benefit and raise funds for the Red Cross Ukraine Refugee Appeal. And it's called Punks Listen. It's a collection of pieces of writing from musicians, writers, actors, and music fans. They were asked to write about a record or gig that was significant to them. And there's, there's a few books like this out there. I've got a few. They're kind of hit and miss. Some stories are good. Some stories are kind of eh. You know, but given the cause behind this one, I'm I'm all over it. Mm-hmm. And this one has contributors from Henry Rollins, Mike Watt, uh, Hugo from Gang of Four, Tao Falco, Roger Miller from Mission of Burma, Dave Smalley, Jeff Pizzati, Brendan Canty, the guys who compiled this one, Neil McGurk and Michael Murphy, uh, definitely doing a good job on this. And people should go to hopecollectiveireland.com. And check out all the good work that these uh, punk rockers are doing out there. Okay. And then a a quick uh, follow-up to a spiel I did way, way back. Well, maybe not way back. Um, Maybe about like a couple of months ago. I was talking about these new records coming out on Chris Schlarb's Big Ego Records. Mm -hmm. The uh, the new release from Mike Begatta, Mike Watt, and Jim Keltner is out. You can go and order that now called Everywhere We Go. 
this is the follow-up to their Wall of Flowers LP, which I really dug. Mm-hmm. This is this is not the same combo as MSSV, Main Steam Stop Valve. This is the Bagetta, Watt, and Keltner combo. Um, but any of those Bagetta, Watt combos, I'm all in. Yeah. And you can go and order this one now. It sounds so good. And that's all I got, man. Awesome. I'm going to check out that that record and also that Rick White hardcore thing. Old. I'm on it. Yeah. When you look at that Blue Fog record company website, which mm-hmm. is putting out a lot of the Rick White reissues. Yep. And if you go to the Rick White Blue Fog band camp and stuff, you can go and download like all of his hardcore music from before Eric's trip. Yeah. And now he's putting out a hardcore record. Yeah, I haven't been on there for a while, but last time I was on that band camp, there was a whole shitload of unreleased stuff from Elevator and Eric's Trip. And, oh, it's, it's uh, endless. Yeah. It's endless. Well, part of when I got back into them over the last, well, mostly in the summer, I guess, is I rebought a bunch of their records because they reissued yeah. them on just juicy double LPs with a full second LP of bonus tracks. Yeah, and I bought some of them too. Yeah, that's pretty hard to resist. Yep. They're investments. Yeah. Right? Yep. Right on. Uh, let's get into this record for the last. History Lesson, Part 1. All right, here we are. We are in History Lesson, Part 1. And Brent, we are not alone. We've got Jeff and Soraya from Paisley Stage, Raspberry and Rhyme with us. So cool to have Jeff and Soraya on the show with us. You know, I've been listening to Paisley Stage off and on for the last uh, couple of years, I guess, but I really crammed for, I did a lot of homework this week because Jeff and Soraya have had last related members on their show like close to 10 times. You've had Joe Nolte on like three times, Vitas Ma- well, actually, I better say this right. Vitas Matare. It probably just kills everyone when I say Matari, like uh, like a game console, but Matare. Uh, you've had uh, Dave Nolte. You also did a focus on the Look Again record. You had Joe and Vitas on for the Look Again record. So you're definitely experts and very welcome on the show here. We are actually on your show, episode 167. Uh, we were so thrilled to do that and and uh, really appreciate you joining us. And Jeff and Soraya, let me just start by saying officially, welcome. Thank you very Thank much. You. It's an honor to be on the show. Yeah, it's yeah. awesome. I just listened to uh, the last episode. You did a, an acoustic Paisley underground focus. But where are we now in the history of the last? We just had the last on as a most recent episode, I suppose, episode 189, we had the Confessions album. We had Joe Nolte on the show as a guest. And this, again, is shortly after, at that point, Joe and uh, Mike, they decided, hey, let's get a band together again. And then they eventually said, well, we might as well call it the last. And they brought on Luke Lonez on guitar, Larry Mankey on bass, and Dave Naz from Chemical People on drums. That um, Confessions record, there was uh, Bill Stevenson at the board and producing on that one. Uh, was Stefan Edgerton on that one too, or is he just joining on this record? I can't recall. No, he was on that one too. Yeah, so Billy and Stefan were on uh, Confessions, and then it's basically like the same crew on Awakening. Very odd for The Last to have that amount of people together associated with The Last two records in a row. So 
really interested to get into this album and of course you know very interested to discuss it with yourselves jeff and soraya as people who have probably dug way deeper on the last than we have thus far um, people can go back to episode 189 and hear kind of the wind up up to this version of the band but before we do any of that brant may i ask jeff and soraya some questions yeah please do okay so this is a new one for us we've never really had on uh, folks like yourselves as guests in history lesson part one and just for people who are not as familiar with uh, yourselves jeff and soraya or your podcast i wanted to uh, ask a few kind of origin story questions can i do that sure okay i'm going to start with soraya because i could find more out about jeff out there than soraya so i want to i want to start with soraya and i i'm going to ask you kind of the same questions before we get into talking about your show and its connection with the last and then into this record but soraya I'm interested to hear from you in terms of how did you get into music? How did this become something that you care about, something that you couldn't ignore and, and it became such a big part of your life? Was there a, a song, a gig, a person? Because we've all kind of got our origin stories. I'd like to start with you. Awesome. Thank you. So first of all, thank you, Ryan. Thank you, Brent, for having us on. My origin story is similar to a lot of other people's. I got into especially the the area that Jeff and I focus on in our podcast, The Paisley Underground, uh, thanks to my big brother. My big brother was determined to change my musical taste and show me that my very narrow pop focus at the time could be expanded. So thanks to him, he exposed me to a lot of local music and a lot of great alternative music, alternative punk rock, and that's what got me started. And our podcast is focused on an LA scene that kind of gave birth to other things. And I've loved that music ever since from high school moving forward. So I've always followed the scene and I've always been passionate about music. And then meeting up with a group of friends, Jeff being one of them, you found your tribe and you get to talk about different music and trade music and go to different shows. And, you know, it was just great to find that. And that's kind of, you know, the simple origins of my story. Well, I got to ask you then as a follow-up to one of your comments, what were the, what was like the local scene that you got into the local bands way back when? So I remember one of my first shows going, you know, as, you know, a high schooler and my brother took me with him. I went to see the three o'clock. I remember seeing the bangles early on and, you know, there were a limited number of clubs that I could go to just because of my age. My brother is two years right. older than me. So um, it was a lot of radio. So Rodney on the Rock exposed me to a lot of different things. And, you know, and then like-minded friends, we started trading tapes and, you know, tapes back then. Tra tapes and LPs. And, uh, yeah, that was it. So you're Paisley, like, almost from the beginning. Like it's if you're start very starting early. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. And Jeff, you're in San Diego, is that right? Yes. So yeah. North San Diego County. Okay. But Soraya, you, you're you not in San Diego? Is I'm in right? Los Angeles. You're in LA. Okay. So we've got LA and San Diego. Okay. Well, that's, I mean, one of the things that strikes me when I listen to your show is just your, your connection to those local scenes. 
just so cool to hear about your your kind of your or, own origin stories and then also to have all of these amazing musicians join you on your show now jeff i was listening to one of it might have even been episode one or two in the last couple of weeks and you seem to suggest that you started out as a metalhead like is that is that fair what tell us about that and how did you turn paisley yeah so they, that's definitely true so um like soraya i got into music very early i think my first uh, purchase with my own money was like age six or seven bought a three dog night single um, and then um, years later moving from florida where i was born to southern california my older sister who was five years older than me she had a boyfriend who was into rock at the time and he turned me on to kiss uh, gave me his kiss collection as he kind of grew out of that and i was still in that adolescent stage and he was older so kiss was kind of uh my uh my entryway into rock and then from there it was scorpions and judas priest and ozzy and i had the ozzy shirt that had uh, the death guy with holding ozzy's head and a, a a blade that was a cross and just dripping ozzy's blood and yeah so it was all it was all metal at the time um went to see some, a lot of those concerts um ozzy and in san diego and whatnot um and definitely very much into music and um i was listening to local radio stations and somehow i flipped onto a college radio station which was called kksm our community college in the town that i lived in um palomar community college and i liked that because i could call the radio station and request songs and they would play it um you know almost immediately whereas with the commercial radio stations um, I, you couldn't get that kind of response. So uh, at the time, um, Ramones had released the KKK Took My Baby Away song, which kind of was a transition from the harder edge guitar into more Paisley. So I kept calling our, the local radio station and requesting the Ramones KKK Took My Baby Away. And one time while I was waiting for that song to play, they played a song by the band The Three O'Clock. Um, All in Good Time was the name of that song. And it was on a, the compilation Radio Tokyo Tapes. I called right away, and I just loved the song. just caught me right away. Called the DJ, Art Deco was what he was going by. And I, I said, hey, Art, what's the song playing? And he's like, oh, it's the 3 o'clock All in Good Time. Get down to your local uh, record store right now and get this compilation Radio Tokyo Tape. And then that opened me up to the Paisley Underground and also to SST by way of the Minutemen, who were also on that compilation. So... It went from the Ozzy, the Priest, Maiden, um, and just everything changed just with that one, hearing that one song by the three o'clock. And then from there, it was Paisley Underground and the South Bay punk scene um, by way of the Minutemen. Oh, that's a great story, too. Both of your stories. So now for those who haven't dug into your show and we've we've spoken about the Paisley Underground before on our show, but. Uh, I'm going to toss it back over to you, Soraya, to maybe describe, you know, we, we've heard from Joe in terms of how the Paisley Underground was kind of a reaction to the last, shall we say. But when we were on your show, uh, Soraya, you were really good at describing, you know, what is the true Paisley Underground? You you struck me as a Paisley purist. And I'm wondering if you could maybe just give us a bit of background in terms of what is the Paisley Underground, how did it start, where did it go, like, and the big four, I think, would be helpful for listeners to hear about. 
Okay, so the Paisley Underground is a name given to a particular scene in Los Angeles in the early 80s. So we're talking about 81, 82. Um, and the big four bands, and I am the purist, Jeff and I differ on this, but I am the purist and Sid Griffin, John Doe's book from X, he says, the seminal four are the Dream Syndicate, Rain Parade, Three O'Clock and the Bangles. That's kind of the core nucleus of the Paisley Underground scene here in LA. And the Paisley, why Paisley Underground? This was a group of bands that they had common ground because they were kind of reacting against, you know, the LA scene at that time was more of a rock steering towards metal. And then this group, they found that their roots were steeped in garage rock from from the 60s and that kind of jangly pop so birds were big influence love um and that kind of influenced their music and the direction they wanted it to go so some called it like a revival of the 60s of the psychedelic 60s and that's definitely kind of in these early recordings of these bands and then they start you know expanding and developing totally but that's really the essence or you know, core of Paisley Underground. Jeff, yeah. would you add anything to that? No, I think that's absolutely true. Um, in my view, that's a snapshot of what happened at that particular time. My view expands after that particular burst. So where, what, where, where they influenced other bands who, yes, also in my mind became part of that scene. But abs- she's absolutely right. Yeah. No. Thank you for that explanation. And it's so interesting your description of that it's very reminiscent of what we've heard from joe nolte from the last about how dissatisfied joe was with the music of the time and was kind of reacting in creating the last now jeff you mentioned this comp radio tokyo tapes i wanted though i pulled out my radio tokyo tapes comps just as a few follow-up questions before we get into this actual awakening record got radio Tokyo Tapes Volume 2 here. And there's a band on there called 17 Pygmies. Now, I wonder, Jeff, you have a relation to 17 Pygmies, do you not? Absolutely, yeah. So it was be actually because of that record, too. So um, both of those records. So the first uh, Radio Tokyo Tapes have has a band called Savage Republic on there. So every band from that compilation ended up being huge to me. I just I devoured that Radio Tokyo Tapes compilation. And pretty much went and got everything from every band on there. So Savage Republic was a band that was on there. And I went out and got all their stuff at the time, which wasn't much. But um, what happened with that band out of Los Angeles, they were based out of UCLA. They were art students that were uh, much like the Beatles. They were art students that also got into music as well. Um, I can't believe I just compared Savage Republic to the Beatles. But anyways... (laughs) Um, so they were an industrial band out of Los Angeles, and there was some uh, differencing of opinion um, between the two main people of, in the band, Bruce and Phil. And Phil broke off and did his own band, uh, Seventeen Pygmies. So I I bought all of their stuff as a result of those two albums, um, Radio Tokyo Tapes One and Two, that had their song Chameleon on there. And there was a telephone number on their album. So I called the number and just because the band was really mysterious to me and I wanted to find out about the band. 
So I started, I called and the main guy, Phil, answered the telephone and I said, yeah, I just bought your album. Um, uh, the band is very mysterious. I want to find out more about them, um, more about you guys. Can you tell me about the band? So he started telling me about the band, but he seemed to be more interested in me than I was in him. And I'm, I'm just a kid, you know, listening to music on college radio station, community college radio station at that. So he started asking about me and I told him I was in a band called White Glove Test. And he said, well, I have a record label. We have a spot open. We're looking for somebody. Um, what can you um, tell me about your band? So I said, well, we have a demo. And I sent him a demo. Um, he called me back after he heard the demo and he said, we'd like to see you guys play me and the co-owner, Matt. And we're interested in putting your bands, your band out on a record label. Uh, long story short, uh, they ended up putting out two of my band's records, White Glove Test. After those records came out, I ended up having children, getting married, so I stopped playing music. Ten years later, he was reforming 17 Pygmies, um, which, before they broke up, had a couple that were married. By this time, they were divorced and couldn't work together, so they needed a guitar player. So Phil kindly asked me to join the band um, 2007. So... A band that I grew up loving, 17 Pygmies, I ended up becoming a member of much later when my kids became older and didn't want dad around anymore. So back into music and became a member of 17 Pygmies from 2007 until Phil's passing a couple months ago. So for, for many years, uh, was part of that band. And all that uh, was a result of Radio Tokyo Tapes. I know, right? Amazing, amazing story. Hey, quick follow-up, though, on White Glove Test. I had not heard of that band before, and I was checking them out this week. Firmly 80s sounding, for sure, but some decent decent tunes, actually. Like, uh, there's some great songs there, but the thing that struck me the most, well, a few things. So, Ethan James produced the first record, right? And I think Bruce Liker did the, the artwork or the cover for that. Is that right? That's, yep, absolutely correct, yeah. And um, the cassette was like a letterpress printing, and that's what... Savage Republic was known for, like I mentioned, they were right. mainly art students. So, yeah, yeah, and interestingly enough, to tie into the last, um, Richard Andrews was our engineer who also engineered Confession and uh, Awakening. So he worked on our first record. So, totally. And what about the second one? Who produced your second White Glove Test record? So that would be Vitas Matare. So, yeah. Um, we were huge fans of the last then and today still and um we were able to record in his studio and it was an amazing experience um i specifically remember i'm not a bass player but um on one song our bass player wanted to play guitar he wrote a song and so he asked me to switch to bass and i said okay i'm a guitar player trying to play bass and i was struggling trying to lay down the bass part because i don't play and I'm in the recording with the band. We did all the basic tracks as a group, but I was the one who kept messing up. So they kept all of their tracks, and Vetus pulled me aside, and he said, Jeff, um, you're struggling with this. Let's see if we can't work with you individually and see if we can get your part. He pulled me in, and he gave me a different bass guitar. I was trying to play a Rickenbacker bass. He said, no, here, try this. Um, and he gave me a bass, sent me in the studio, and he said, okay, Let's take some deep breaths. We'll get, get we'll t we'll send the band out to get lunch, and just you and I here. And in one one track, I laid down the bass part, which ended up being a song called "Every Day," and uh, V just made that all happen. So 
I have very, very fond memories of working with Peter. So. so cool. And did you, you didn't do that song on a Rick though, right? You tried no. the Rick. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Cause a Rick bass is like a, it's like a wrist shredder, you know? <laughs> I couldn't do it. I yeah. I, I got gotcha. you. Now a couple of quick follow-ups there too. I do love if I'm right, that your first album by White Glove Test was called Look. Correct. And your second one was called Leap. So yep. you looked before you leaped? Yeah, indeed. Yeah. Yeah. Love we're that. Pretty clever. And we had an EP that we re- that never got released until I uh, actually put it out last year um, on Bandcamp only. But it was an EP and I was trying to push for the band to call it Before You. And they said, no, that's just too way too heavy handed. <laughs> Look and Leap is, is good enough. So, yeah. Perfect. And now you also actually, Soraya, you brought this up on your last episode, but our listeners should be made aware of this too. Jeff, you've got a new proj that is is going to come out like any day now, maybe actually around the time when this episode comes out called Brenneman and uh, an EP called Marcos. Why don't you tell people about that? Yeah, so um, this is probably my swan song. So I was already, once Phil passed away from 17 Pygmies, I always was already thinking, all right, I've got 13 grandchildren, five great-grandchildren, and just time is in a place where I need to reprioritize. Um, so my buddy, Dirk Doucette, talked me into getting back into a studio, and he said, "Let's uh, for your last album, let's record some songs where you're singing. I said, Dirk, I don't sing. You know this. Um, nobody wants to hear me singing. He said, well, it'll just be for you and I. Nobody will ever hear this, and it'll be 10 to 12 songs. And I said, well, I have some songs, but um, let's see what we can do with them. Inspired by R.E.M. writing songs about your local area, I decided to write songs that me and my friends growing up in North San Diego County, locations that meant a lot to us, including the record store that really inspired my love of music, um, a record store called Sand Hill, which I would go and work at. So we started, the two of us, just recording songs, and it was all me to a click track coming in with, progressions on my guitar and some rough ideas for where they would go lyrically and melodically and most of the recordings were um i would say inspired by the Minutemen and meat puppets at least in my mind i was going for that kind of feel i we so we ended up doing six songs um san marcos was the name of the town that we grew up in so we called it marcos just for short kind of the econo version of san marcos if you will and um, it got to a point where I thought, he's making them sound okay, um, despite me screaming on these. Um, and they, it ended up being a lot heavier than I had in mind. And then we reached out to some of uh, some musicians that I really admire, um, including Matt Devine from a band called Permanent Green Light. And he played in a band called Medicine. Um, he agreed to play lead guitar. And then... Um, a couple people from the Dream Syndicate, who we we love and are part of the scene. Jason yeah. Victor played lead guitar, and Chris Kakavis, um, their keyboard player, played on all six songs. And then I had um, uh, Jonathan Siegel from Camper Van Beethoven play a couple violin tracks, which blew me away. And uh, Red Cross, a punk band out of... Uh, the Bay Area here. Um, I had, we had Robert Hecker, who was part of their glam period. He pay, played on three different songs. So it was amazing for me to have yeah. these musicians that I really admire come in and play on it. So uh, November 18th is the release date, and it's coming out on 
Bandcamp, and it should be on Amazon and Spotify and all those. So, yeah, the one track that's out there, Sand Hill. The the first lyrics are uh, again about that record store, right? The lyrics are vinyl. I'm I'm digging crates. That smell, it's like a drug. And uh, yeah, I would agree. Um, <laughs> one final question though about Paisley Stage, Raspberry and Rhyme. Am I the only person in the world that didn't realize until like this week? That that seems like a Scarborough Fair take is is that what that's from? Is that a Scarborough <laughs> Fair take? It absolutely is. Yeah. So yeah, the lyrics in there are parsley, sage, rosemary, and thyme, and we were definitely playing off of that. When we came up with that, where we thought, no, this is this is not good. But it's one of those <laughs> things like after repetition, you hear it for a while and it kind of grows on you. But yeah, you're absolutely right, Ryan. That, Un- that- unlike our unlike our podcast name, which will never grow on brand. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's my uh, it's my if I done anything to annoy Brandt, it's to name this podcast. Well, there we go. <laughs> So thank you for indulging. Uh, I wanted to get a bit more familiar with uh, how you come to the scene and uh, and then your relationship with the last, because again, you definitely have spent a lot of time with those those musicians, and we're very lucky to have had you do that because you know those documents are there to go and listen and understand what was going on. You didn't actually though do spend a lot of time on this release. When you've had, you know, Joe on, he he really kind of cruises right past this record. Um, so really interested to get into it a bit more deeply with yourselves and hear what you think about it. So where should we go from here, Brent? I think we should go back to Ozzy and the Big Four and stuff. Cause... <laughs> <laughs> Do you want to skate past it too? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, well, let's so get Motorhead in. will come up in this discussion, I will say that. Oh, well, let's get into that then. So w- when you go track by track, there's one of these tracks that uh, Joe claims was influenced by Motorhead. So. Oh, okay, cool. Well, so just to set the stage a little bit, um, we, we touched on this a little bit, but this was the second of their late 80s comeback. Same lineup as the previous record, same studio, Third Wave and Torrance, same producer, Bill Stevenson, engineered by James B. Mansfield, and we saw James before on episode 196, the Paul Rossler Abominable um, record. He also worked on with the Chemical People on Tenfold Hate, All Roy's Revenge, both of which were done in the same studio by this same crew, like around this, this time. We mentioned Richard Andrews. He engineered Confession uh, along with Stefan. Stefan also works as an engineer on Awakening and Richard is credited as an additional engineer. So virtually the same people. They worked on this one, October of 88 through April of 89. Confession was recorded in February of 88. So they really weren't wasting any time. I, I bet this came out less than a year after Confession. Now, according to the band, I've, I've read this in a few different places, and maybe Joe touched on this in our interview, and maybe in yours as well, uh, or one of yours, this was like the most expensive record SST ever made. Do you do you know anything about that? I was reading something about that, and I think the reason was is they were talking about Bill was mentioning with Confessions that it would have been a little bit better had they did some uh, double vocal tracks. So I think they did a lot of that on Awakening, so much so that they spent a lot of time in the studio. Yeah, and Brent, I heard the exact same thing. So much studio time that it cost SST more than any other record, at least up to that time. 
so it definitely affected their budget and uh eventually the last touring schedule because there was not even money for the, to send them out on tour mm-hmm. because they were in the studio so much doing all the double tracking for vocals interesting now you've talked to joe way more than we we have but tell me if you agree with the statement i'm going to make that he's like I think he's a perfectionist and he, it seems like he is super critical of, it seems like he's, he's like a tortured artist in the sense that he's never satisfied with like, I don't think he is, you know, I'm sure there's stuff in the last catalog that he likes better than other things, but I feel like nothing is, is, is perfect on his end. I definitely agree with that statement. And in talking with Joe, uh, Jeff and I have had Joe on a few times um, and and Joe will Joe Nolte will talk at length about you know it, it just seems like he's trying to have the sound that's recorded equate the sound that's in his head mm-hmm. that is playing at full blast and um, yeah I think tortured perfectionist might might be because. I mean, you see the joy that he has when he's playing. You know, Jeff Jeff and I have seen them live, and they're amazing. But, yeah, and then when you hear the backstory, you say, wait, it sounded great. No, 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 but this and that, and I would have adjusted this, and we, it could have sounded better. Right. And, uh, yeah. For me, this record sticks out in particular in their catalog because of the vocal performances on it. It's just out of this world on this record. And the other, and I mean, they're great on all the records, but... You can tell they spent some extra time on this one. I, I feel like maybe that's why he would have breezed past this one on, on your show anytime it's come up, because I, I think this is one for him that there's just um, bad memories maybe connected to it. I think the band kind of splintered mm. after this, and I think the if I'm remembering right, I've heard him say like the tour for this record was a bit of a disaster in his mind. Yeah, and I think Lack of Funds had something to do with that, and that was because of too much studio time. Uh, yep. <laughs> it's funny when you talk about the crew in the studio, you know, working the board, twisting the knobs, turning the dials, and you mention the chemical people, and then of course you've got Bill and Stefan. This record for me, it is aesthetically the sound quality is very similar to the all and chemical people records of that time. They sound like they were recorded like back to back in the same studio. The way like the way that um the snare sounds, the way that the uh, the guitars are mixed, very, very similar. There's even songs when we get into the tracks, and I'm like, this could have been an all song almost. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would definitely think that Bill would have a big influence on that. For sure. Well, and I mean, he's gone on record many, many times as saying the last was a huge influence on him. So not, you know, it's it makes sense that it would you know you you said that this could be some of these could be an all track well you know oh, bill, yeah. bill being a songwriter i'm was greatly influenced by by the last yeah jeff and soraya do you think the last get the credit they deserve in kind of the scene like i i, I feel like they're outside of you know those bands some of those bands you mentioned like the dream syndicate i don't think they're considered peers to those bands but i'm sure like do you think you know, all those bands you've talked to, all those people, do they mention the last? Does their name come up? Yeah. Every single one of them. Um, all four of those bands said that they were influenced. In fact, if I'm not mistaken, Soraya, at least one member from each of those bands have tried out at one point or another to join the last. Yeah. 
Yep, including Susanna Hoffs from the Bengals. Steve Wynn wanted to be a part of the band. Michael Quercio has mentioned that. So, yeah, that's actually the reason why we started digging more into them, because all four of those bands have mentioned what a huge influence The Last was. And to answer your question, Brant, absolutely not. They do not get the credit that they deserve. And uh, I think mm. Joe would agree with that. Um, he's mentioned that. <laughs> um, and rightly so, um, because so many of those bands were hugely um, influenced by The Last and many bands. And I think it's, um, you could say, much like Big Star was at one point, where there was all these bands that were influenced by them. Totally. And they never got the credit that they deserved. It's a little bit different nowadays, but The Replacements, R.E.M., um, Let's Active, all these bands were were so influenced by this one band, but they never got the credit. And uh, I would equate that to the last. Absolutely. Oh man, that might be the first let's active mention on. You don't know Mojack. Thank you, Jeff. <laughs> finally, finally. Thank you. I just, I just want to add, uh, one of the times that we had Joe Nolte on, he said, well, you have me to thank for the Paisley underground. <laughs> and, uh, and it's because he said, you know, People would approach and we say, "Ah, no, we're going to go in another direction." And then they, he said, and then they'd form a band, and then boom, they hit it big. Yeah, <laughs> he said so. But it's interesting how the last is really this catalyst for so many of these bands because they dig into the last, and then they, you know, they take a turn and they start developing their own music. They start writing differently, and. I am absolutely in agreement with that statement. The last does not get their due. And but now look through so many different interviews and people say, LA explosion, LA explosion, the last. You know, that what that kind of got me digging into different bands. So it's there, but maybe it is Jeff, kind of like a big star thing that there's gonna be some distance and then people will give them their due. I don't know. Well, yeah, I mean they're they predate all of those bands for starters. And I mean, they were on SST, which is another kind of, um, I, you know, like I'd be curious to know who they played with around this era, you know, when they were on tour, was it more bands like the meat puppets? You know, you would frequently see these SST bands get paired up with other SST bands, or was it, you know, were they playing with some of those, those Paisley bands? Probably a bit of both, I guess. Yeah. I'm curious too. I don't, honestly know that i do remember seeing some flyers where they were listed with some of um the sst bands but mm -hmm. um yeah that's a very good question i would like to to know more about that also yeah should we talk about these tracks a little bit yes history lesson part two all right so let's just go through them track one side one no love is a joe nolte song right out of the gate joel just belting it out over the 12 string a typical last album opener, just a total corker. What do you guys think of that track? I love the song myself. Um, this is a song that actually took me a while to grow on. Um, I'm a real um, fanatic about sequencing. And originally I thought this is not a great way to start the album. I wish track number two would have started the album, but it grew on me a lot more so to the point where I, I love how it starts. And, when the last brings in 12 string guitar it's just i just love that sound with the band because they're high energy and yet they have this uh, instrument that's usually more um twee a twee part of bands where it's a, a more pretty sounding but they'll bring it into their high energy um, music um joe said he wrote the song in may of 1985 so it's 
a little bit older, and he said it was an homage to the Doors. I don't know mm-hmm. if I hear that, but <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it, it, it's grown on me to be a great way to start the, this album. Great hook, though. The guitar line is a great hook. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and don't forget there, if you know, there was a time where there was discussion about, I believe, Joe either playing or singing or both in Black Flag, and he was to play a a twelve string in Black Flag. Can you imagine? Yeah, <laughs> I I can't. Well, Soraya, what? sometimes when I listen to your show, you you kind of dig more into the lyrics. Yeah, has been, has been my. Uh, experience in listening to the show. Can you find any connection between the lyrics and the doors maybe in this song? I don't know. I don't. Joe says that musically this is an homage to the doors and then he says, lyrically, this song is about nothing. (laughs) (laughs) It's officially about nothing. So I don't know, but you know, one of the things that I love about Joe's songs is there's there's always something, you know, the the hook. So in this one, it's the guitar hook or, you know, the lyrics just get you. But I love, I just love this line. What you do depends on you. I've got a reason for telling you why is it wrong with me and you, why is it wrong with you? I'm sorry. That, I just like that. <laughs> but, but to say lyrically, it's officially about nothing. I don't know if I buy that. That Doors homage, maybe I got to give it 10 more listens. I don't know. <laughs> I'm not too sure. Okay, well, the next one, assembly line, that one's not lyrically about nothing. I, I can't tell if it's a criticism of mindless factory work or, you know, the somewhat freeing aspect of shutting off your brain and, and pushing a button. It could be either, I guess, depending on your perspective. Yeah, so we do know that Joe was a blue-collar worker up until his retirement last year. So he's always um, been part of that 9-to-5 working, mm. working man life and um i think it's come out in a few different songs mm-hmm. assembly line no exception for that so it's it's definitely i think um oh yeah yeah based on you know his real life experience and i think you're absolutely right brant because i i know he's mentioned that he does not have a love for that nine to five work it's something to pay the bills but his love is for music so i think you're spot on in saying that um, you have to shut off your mind and just do what you have to do to pay the bills. Yeah, just soaring vocals on this track, though, right? Like, so they they make your hair stand up when you hear this song. Yeah. And tell me that this rhythm, the rhythm of this song, wouldn't fit on like All's album Percolator or something like that. Like this is this is like the Percolator rhythm. This song, I, th- I can hear that. Yeah. A thing I found interesting about this song is. It's Mike singing the verses, and uh, it's a Joe Nolte song. Is that is that not odd? That is odd, yeah, because we know that Joe likes to sing his songs, and Mike <laughs> likes to sing his songs for the most part. Um, there's definitely exceptions, so yeah, absolutely. And um, I still kind of think this would be a great way to start the album, <laughs> simply like <laughs> personally, be, for exactly what Ryan said. I mean, just the delivery is just amazing and just mm-hmm. it just gets you right away so mm-hmm. i like albums that start off and they just grab you right away so no love took me some time assembly line got me first listen okay well sequencing wise you have to put like a hit on on track number 3 okay i think and <laughs> <laughs> you do and this one's a hit the next one you um, I love that, like the first minute is J- Joe singing a verse, just a, you know, accompanying himself on guitar. I assume it's himself. 
you know, just a classic last kind of lost relationship banger, I would say. And 12 string again. Yeah, they. I like how they layered the guitars on this. You know, they. It sounds to me like they have the acoustic pan to the right and that distorted guitar pan to the left, and then you'll occasionally hear that twelve string faintly down the middle. That's a total sixties production trick. Absolutely, and I think it, this is one of the songs that was written after Confession, so it was written just before they re-recorded. And I think there was a few songs on here that that were uh, like you mentioned. Uh, previously brand that there there wasn't much time in between confessions and awakening and he just nailed out some of these tracks there were a few that were older but this is one of those songs where write them and record them mm-hmm. let's release this so some serious growl on the vocals for this song too right like they they mean it <laughs> uh, yeah and he's great when he does that and we were reading that he had an earlier song that he took some of the verses um, and ended up using that for Going On, and then the chorus from that earlier song he used for this song. So there was a song that he had written previously and split that up into a couple different songs, um, the chorus becoming you. I just wanted to add, uh, just to add to, you've got you've got these driving lyrics, but it's like a, it's like a twist of the knife every time, right? Yeah. And... You know, now outside, night is falling. See them dancing in the rain. They dream, the only dream that's left, to die before they go insane. It's all preordained, and they call to you. Oh, my God. <laughs> it's like, whoosh. all of this is just, it's gone. It's over. Get out. Yeah, yeah, but it's it, it grips you, and it does, this is, if this is the hit, Hats because it it's hard to shake this one up. Yeah, I think we've said this before on the last last episode, confession. Just how the lyrics can be dripping with venom. Some of these, right? Like, there's no pure love song from Joe Nolte, not yet, anyways. Not yet. <laughs> not yet. Uh, the next one, somebody knew, is a is a Mike song. Practically, the first half of the song, just Mike on vocals with with keys. The way the band comes in just gives this track to me like a totally epic feel, especially when you add Vetus on on flute. Such a cool touch made me think of like Led Zeppelin three or something like that. Even though <laughs> I'm not sure they used flute anywhere other than on Stairway. So, uh, but this has to be a standout Mike song on any last album, I would Agreed. say. And written on accordion, which yep. I thought interesting, which hit. Mm-hmm. I think all of the songs that he wrote for this album were written on accordion, um, which is obvious, I think, on a later one, but not so obvious on this one, in my opinion. But Vetus coming in on flute definitely, for me, was very nostalgic of the earlier days, and especially the song It Had to Be You, which was on the compilation uh, that we talked about earlier, Radio Tokyo tapes, but the LA Explosion songs, to me, that was very nostalgic to have, to hear Vetus on flute again with somebody new. Well, that was the interesting thing that Joe said when he heard the song, he heard flutes. And so he wanted Vita's on and he, they approached him and boom, there you go. So again, going into, I hear it in my head. I want to hear it on the track. And I don't know. It's good. It's a, it's a good song too. Yeah. It's awesome. Even though he wasn't officially a member of the band at this point. So right. pulled this back into it. I think, 
Um, I know that they ha- their relationship is very interesting between the two of them. So uh, to have him to bring him back, I think was meant something uh, meant a lot to Joe to have yes. Vitas back because I know he definitely um, appreciates and respects Vitas very much. Okay, the next track is Garden Grows, back to another Joe song. Talking about sequencing, perfectly sequenced to, to put this song next, after, you know, Mike's song, I would say. We've got Leo Nolte on piano, which I I think is actually Joe's name. I think, and actually I know it is, because he told me his full name is Leo Joseph Nolte III, which is the same as, obviously, his dad and, and his dad's dad. Um, and he actually told me Joseph is the middle name of all five of the Nolte boys, as well as David Nolte's son, James. Wow, that, I did not know that. Yeah, yeah. he told me since I, I didn't usually take credit for piano work, I thought I'd credit myself as Leo as sort of a tip of the hat to my dad. Oh, that's very special. Nice. This is actually my favorite song on the album. Really? I, I just... Yeah, it just really grabs me. I think the m- melodically, it's just one of those songs that that uh, just stand out right away for me. I absolutely love this song. And he said that the lead guitar was an homage to Jefferson Airplane's Volunteers, um, which I thought was interesting. I don't know if I necessarily hear that, but I love how he has these influences, much like the Paisley Underground of these 60s bands. And I think the influences are obvious that there are 60s influence, some of the specific influences. Um, I don't know that I necessarily hear like Joe here. Hmm. I trust your judgment. I'm not a guitar player. <laughs> I love this song because uh, it's my favorite bass playing song. The bass playing oh. on this song is just killer. It's just like ultra tasty lines and hitting up in the high notes. Loved it. I'll always pick that out on a last record, you know, <laughs> like, cause there's such, um, it's not it doesn't seem to be like a main focus in the writing but there's always a cool lay- and I think it's because like the songwriters create a great space for a bass player to throw in a really wicked lick that just does it for me. Okay. I love that observation. Yeah. Uh the next one last one side A is Your Wings another Mike song. <laughs> I forget what I said two tracks ago about, you know, Mike's that being Mike's like big song cuz this is the Mike Nolte epic for me. This is weird this song, right? It is weird. Yeah. I love the dynamics in it that they that they use. To me it's an odd way to end side 1. Um but it makes sense when you flip the record over to the next track, but it's a it's an odd mm-hmm. tune. It's a very odd tune and Mike has said that um, he was writing it from the perspective of his brother Joe saying, "Why, basically, why are you wasting your life away?" And it was in response to a Joe song, "The Other Side," which I thought was interesting, and another song written on accordion. So, and apparently um, influenced by Badfinger's "Carry On." I don't know if you guys. Another one where I thought, "Okay, I believe you." <laughs> I don't hear it, but I believe. You. Okay, while well, flipping it over, another mic track here to me he shows he can rock too like but i but when i listen to this i feel like it could have been a mainstream 80s like pop crossover hit almost like it almost sounds like a new romantic track to me no man this sounds like the dickies to me Dickies. Uh, oh yeah because it has like a dickies feel but new romantics maybe i love that the the accordion actually shows up in the song too 
And you can hear Mike's frustration in the song, I think. But yeah, Brent, you actually absolutely hit it. Like he he rocks on this one. So um, after hearing your wings and then flipping it over and um, definitely comes in with more of a harder edge and um, not quite as hard as we'll get to in a couple songs on the show <laughs> song, but yeah. Definitely. And I mean, these lyrics. Okay, so we go from your wings, right? And then we jump here and you say life's impossible when you get too close to someone you gotta pay spend your whole life miserable fighting demons fighting thoughts you hate all's told in your book of life coming in deep but like hard too it's a great song yeah okay next up we have a joe song dreaming cool track to me almost could be like an early tom petty and the heartbreakers song has that kind of feel to it me i mean tom petty you know played a 12 string and had some definite 60s vibes in his early early stuff too yeah and this song was a little bit older like i think it was about three or four years old um it was one of the songs that he had written when the band was going by the nulty brothers after venus had left the last and they were doing their own thing so it was uh yeah it was definitely one of those songs and interesting that you brought up tom petty yeah I mean, that 12-string intro, I, I absolutely love the intro to the song and just that sound um, before it actually kicks in. But right. I would have never thought of Tom Petty, but I think you nailed it with that. Yeah. Mm. A good connection. And David actually sings with Joe on this song, too. So I think um, the Nulty Brothers are, are all present in here. I think Mike's in there, too. So mm. I know David isn't fond of singing all the time, so I think... Uh, Joe probably had to coerce him into, into singing. Uh, the next one is Tired, another Joe Joe track. I think the the last two are Joe songs. This must be the, the Motorhead one. Yeah. Yep. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> probably the one of their heaviest songs, I would say, yep. and definitely their um, more punkier songs. Total, a total mm-hmm. SSD song, in my opinion. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, this is maybe what Black Flag would have sounded like with if joe would have been their vocalist (laughs) (laughs) yeah i think you nailed it there and and i know that there were several songs at this time that he was writing to um somebody that he was pursuing a female that he um notes as just h the initial h so um i think he was said that the song was written for her whoever that is i think uh he's pretty elusive about who h is but yeah motorhead huh like um, in the last song, but it's interesting. We were talking about sequencing earlier, how we go from this song to the next song after such a heavy, fast mm-hmm. uh, influence song, and then what comes up next. Well, yeah, um, well, speaking of that it, and sequencing, if you take the two covers off the end of this, which I probably would have. Um, Me too. Th- this ends, this, this record would end the same as Confession with kind of a the title yeah. track being, a, you know, a stripped down... Uh, track to end the record same that's the exact same way confession ended i believe yep you're right this is an epic track i wonder if joe played solo acoustic shows do you know i know he played shows with mike as joe and mike Hmm. but um i don't know that he ever played completely by himself i'm not aware of any of those but with the two of them i know he did some of that and this one has dave on lead guitar this track yes Yes. Um, Soraya and I are very fond of David Nolte. Absolutely. He's a very, very nice, nice person. And um, 
Yeah, I think um, there's a note somewhere that I wrote down that I read somewhere that uh, on David's electric part that there's a descending part and he's actually detuning his guitar. He's yeah. not actually going down the fretboard, but he's actually detuning, which um, yeah, yeah. is an interesting sound. Yeah. Joe mentioned it when he was on your show about how it was the, that's the the, di, mm-hmm. like the dive bomb sound. It's actually okay. down tuning. And Joe was saying, ah, but we should have put some bass on this track. But no, I, <laughs> I like I like it just as is. Of course, he's unsatisfied. I love it. The vocals are amazing, um, and I love that uh, dive bomb guitar track. It just adds to it for me. Yeah, totally. I'm totally with you there, Ryan. Once again, here's where we see the magic of the Nolte brothers, right? It, all of them different musicians, all of them bringing something new here. And David, to me, David's David's guitar work is just amazing on this track. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's such a solid song. Okay, so Jeff, would you agree? Should the album have stopped here? <laughs> yeah, I was going to bring that up from the beginning, and I thought for sure I was going to be hated for this, and I was going to be the, the standout lone guy <laughs> saying that there should the album shouldn't end with these two covers. But it sounds like... I'm not. I'm not alone here, Soraya. You might differ. No, I'm. I'm okay. I. I. I actually seem to agree, but I kind of. I like knowing that there. There's a cover. I know it's there, but I agree. Awakening would have been that kind of nail coffin done, and then we get these two covers. Yeah. Okay. So odd. After They're that, odd covers. Like that final statement of Awakening, and then they tack these on. No, it's such a strong song, and then you move me in a completely different direction. So at the end of the album, I'm, uh, you know, the secret, folks, I usually stop listening at Awakening. Yeah. W- what if these would have been mixed into the album? Like, like tracked, differently. tracked yeah. sequenced earlier. Yeah. Like, do you do you jarring. like them as covers at least? No, they're they're good covers. Yeah. They're good. I don't know if I would have ended on this note, even though I love these two songs. They're good songs, but to end it, yeah. Because Jeff and I always talk about how you know with sequencing, that last song is that is that lingering reminder, right? Like, Mm. hey, we just spent, you know, X amount of time listening to this album and it stays with me. And this one, I'm just kind of left going, hmm, what was this about? Okay, so so for our listeners, the two covers that ended are She Loves You uh, by The Beatles and Baby It's You, written by Burt Bacharach, Luther Dixon, and um, who was credited as Barney Williams as a writer and lyricist Mac David. Um, that, which was also recorded by the Beatles, this song, which is, you know, maybe um, okay. maybe how they learned so, it. But So Joe says, for She Loves You, he says, this was crammed into a last-minute chaotic flurry of activity wherein we were struggling to finish the album before the upcoming all tour. Mm. So I'm like, okay. Yeah, so, well, I, I so I hit up Joe and asked him, was it why did you choose choose these covers and was it a conscious decision you made to put put them at the end of the album or why did you make that decision he, and he said the answer to the both questions is sheer idiocy <laughs> <laughs> unfortunately that idiocy would be mine uh, he said we had done she loves you well in practices giving it sort of a hardcore treatment 
while effectively nailing those amazing harmonies. By the time we got around to recording those two, we were pretty much out of time, and I, I regrettably pushed to do them anyway. We did them both badly and threw them on onto the end of the record, hoping no one would notice. <laughs> we know this. Yeah, we know this. I don't think they're badly recorded at all. I think they're pretty decent recordings. Um, I think the performances are pretty inspired. I would say you could tell mm-hmm. Joe's love the Beatles. I I think he he's mentioned that she loves you is his all time favorite song. Yes. Maybe. Mm. Um, so I I don't think they're bad. I would like to hear them on some kind of a compilation maybe or tribute maybe like a punk rock beatles tribute album Mm. but they feel tacked on to me Mm -hmm. yeah so i don't want to call joe nolte an idiot but i i might agree with him (laughs) (laughs) i won't say that but (laughs) well then flat out i agree with him i might nod in agreement yeah maybe it wasn't the best decision it was just it it seemed they seem rash you know just kind of Quick, uh, that sounds good. Let's do it. Bum, 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 bum. Done. But uh, how do you not love his own? Okay, so I, I love people who write great songs. I love harmonies, and I like Burt Bacharach. And even Joe says about "Baby It's You," the second, the second cover, great song. Don't say nothing bad about my Bacharach. So <laughs> Joe just, you know, got a little space in my heart right there. But again, it just seems odd. So I don't know. Maybe if they were sequenced earlier, it wouldn't have felt so jarring. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Well, and and in the same breath, when I talked to him, he went on to crap all over the album cover too, saying again, blaming himself, saying he picked the worst photo of the band, and he picked the I believe he described it as putrid purple. The colors. Colors. Yeah. So yeah, he signed. He signed my cover, and he writes on here, bad colors, oops, is what he wrote <laughs> when he signed it. So that's how he signed my... my Jeff, my is, yours, is yours a cutout on the side there? Yeah, it is, yeah. Okay, yours too, Brent, right? Cutout, yep. <laughs> yeah, mine too. Mine has got a like a half moon <laughs> shape in the corner. So all three of ours are cutouts. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting, yeah. Wow. I, I don't but, mind yeah. this photo. I think it's a great photo of the band. They're nah, all smiling. The, the photo's good. The colors, eh, leave a little something to be desired. I think, as you, Jeff and Soraya, mentioned with Joe on your show, this is maybe just not as good of a cover as the Confessions cover, which is an, an amazing cover, right? That shot, if you put, yeah, if you put yeah. that shot next to this one, this one does pale in comparison. Agreed. I, yeah. I agree with you. Yeah. yeah. The, it the looks like the, the lyrics were done on a super early computer. Like, that's not a typewriter. It does look kind of dot matrix yeah. a little bit. That's the yeah. word. Commodore, yeah. 60, Commodore 64, I'm sure. Oh, Commodore <laughs> 64. What about yeah. this quote on here from Nathaniel Hawthorne? Does anybody know anything about that? I don't, no. I, I, you know, I don't know what kind of a teacher you are, Soraya, but I've heard that maybe you're a teacher and maybe you might know something. Any chance there? <laughs> uh. Well, read the quote because I don't have a physical copy of the album. Oh, okay. Here we go. I was, yeah, okay. I usually do these. I was actually going to toss it to you in case if you wanted to go and te- go in teacher mode, but here we go. This is, uh, this is from uh, Nathaniel Hawthorne, uh, American author from December 
1844. At least that's what it says on here. Um, and here's the quote. Blessed are all simple emotions, be they dark or bright. It is the lurid intermixture of the two that produces the illuminating blaze of the infernal regions. That is deep. So, uh, for your listeners, I am a Spanish professor, so I teach literature and culture and language, uh, but I, I read I read a lot. And uh, that quote by Nathaniel Hawthorne, uh, I mean, this is just me riffing. Um, I definitely would have to ask Joe why that quote, but that's about kind of the eternal struggle of life, of mm-hmm. all the ips, the highs and lows and and uh, we're constantly kind of dipping into all of that. It's a lot of the duality of life, but the mm, dark, I don't the know. dark or bright, the dark yeah. or bright, right? Yeah, and and he's talking about the lurid intermixture, and and I took from it, you know, the, just the first line: "Blessed are all simple emotions." It's like those those instinctual reactionary emotions are maybe the purest of all. I don't know. Yeah. And I mean, we definitely have tracks that reflect that, you know, the strong emotions come just pour out. We definitely have tracks about that. And some, you know, the lurid is some of the fantasy. So, you know, there, there's a little bit of that, too. Mm-hmm. Mm. It seems, though, in that the last two words or the last piece, though, of the infernal regions. It seems like it seems like uh, Joe toils in the infernal regions from time to time. <laughs> I'd say so. Yeah, when you were reading that quote, Ryan, I, I was definitely thinking like this sounds a lot like Joe in the discussions that he's had with us, and then the discussion that he had with you. There's kind of that. I know that he's proud of the band, but I know that uh, he wishes that the band would have been more recognized um, to Brant's point that they are um, not recognized as much as we believe that he should. At the time too, right? Because like, look, all three of our copies are cutouts. Yeah. Like, come on. Did these even hit the shelves in a meaningful way? I don't know. Well, the good, the good news is this is streaming this album. So everyone who's listening to this can hear it. And and they should, they should. Yeah. Hey, where does this record stack up for everybody with the rest of the last catalog? Like full disclosure, I've never even heard gin and innuendos. Never heard it. What? That's oh. Jeff's favorite. It is. You need. You need to. Yeah, you well, I'm. To. I'm holding off. I can't. Mojack bylaws, right? I can't wait for for you don't know Mojack episode three twenty three, which is going to come out probably um, in the year twenty fifty. So yeah. <laughs> I'm looking forward to that one for sure. Yeah. So well, for the- me, this is probably my third or fourth. Jen and Your Windows is definitely my favorite, and LA Explosions is great. And um, Look Again, since they've redone that, that one's great too. But mm. Um, so the last did three SST releases, right? We're talking about Confession. You guys talked about Confession and Awakening and then at some point Jen and Innuendos. So I think out of these, it's probably, out of the SST, it's probably my least favorite of the the SST releases, maybe. Um, Jen and Innuendos, definitely my favorite. Confessions, I think I like a little bit more. But mm. there's great tracks. I think if 
if like we said it was sequenced differently it it definitely is a sour taste in my mouth how it ends and <laughs> to Soraya's point that's Isn't a that funny that's a bit it's how an album leaves you um definitely has a lasting impact so yeah how about for you guys me, for me i i think it's uh, maybe a number three you know, in when I stack them against others, I definitely would list. You know, if I had them all, which one would I pick first? I'd pick L.A. Explosion first. That's just my personal, and then Gin and Innuendos. But uh, Awakening, yeah, third. Wow! Yeah. Wait till you hear Gin and Innuendos, Brant. I That's might have crazy. to. We might have to have a Mojack board meeting after it's... this and see if we can <laughs> yeah. bypass the bylaws order. for. My ordering is the exact same as Soraya's. Hmm. Exact. Okay, wow. well, let's see where we where we land on this. So we've never, I don't think, in two hundred and thirty episodes, um, <laughs> had any outsiders weigh in on the ballot results. So let's let's see what happens here. Let's do it. Ballot result. Okay, so roundtable time, Jeff. Ballot ballot result cage match. Yeah, Jeff. I, Garden grows. I'm guessing is yours. Yeah, uh, that is definitely my favorite. And I think it's the song that just jumped out first. Um, mm. There's uh, definitely a few on here that really stand out to me. Um, I love Assembly Line. Um, Tired it just has tons of energy. And Awakening is an amazing song. Yeah. But Garden Garden Grow, that's the one that just caught me right away. And it's because of the melody. Um, it just has that melody that just sticks with me. So. I would have to go with Garden Grove. Yeah. All right, Soraya? Uh, There's a few to pick from, hey? Yeah, well, see, because now Jeff, he said something that it just, I'm all, yeah, Garden Grove. Uh, you know what? I'm going to stick with my original. You. Oh. Ah. Blessed are the simple emotions. <laughs> <laughs> your first your first pick. Yeah. There you go. There you go. Ryan, what, what were your faves? Uh, you know what? I like No Love, You, and Awakening. Those are probably my top three. Hmm. We all like different songs. Yeah. I would actually go... I Jeff kind of crapped all over No Love as the intro, but I, <laughs> that one, it's, it gets its hooks into me right off the hop. I think it's a great opener. See, my favorites were You, Somebody New, and Your Wings was one of my favorites, and, ti oh. and Tired. So Bizarre. Wow. You probably has the most votes. Right now, yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm up for anything. Jeff has some pretty strong feelings about Garden Grove, so I'd be I'd be cool with putting that on there. I, I mean, like we've said before, at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter as long as everyone <laughs> checks this record out. <laughs> yeah. Agreed. That's the point, right? That's the point is to to get listeners to to, to give it a shot. A hundred percent. I'd be I'd be curious what your listeners would would have as their ballot result mm -hmm. we'll see all right well let's go with garden grow dunsky hey what's next on on your guys's podcast can you tell us yeah yeah and and also your other one jeff as well your independent project one how's what's the haps with that one so with paisley stage we've already recorded our next one right soraya and it's set it should be released probably by the time this comes out um what we've been focusing on are episodes where just the two of us are recording. We have some interviews scheduled for or things that we'd like to do next year. 
But um, Soraya, you want to talk about our next episode that we just recorded? Yeah, so our next episode, uh, we took a look at songs by um, uh, a side project that Steve Wynn has. Um, Steve Wynn of the Dream Syndicate, and it's the Baseball Project. Cool. Oh, yeah. So Jeff and I living in the U.S., uh, World Series time. And so we said, what better time than now to talk about songs about baseball? So that was our uh, last uh, episode. And then Jeff? Yeah, so independent, the independent podcast review. Um, we're setting up a few different interviews. Community FK was a band, a goth band out <clears throat> of Los Angeles. Um, we've got agreement from uh, the band to come on and do an interview. It's been really hard to schedule that. So that's what's coming up next. And then we have Bruce coming on for a few different things. And I'm really excited because Robert Loveless, um, who was a member of, original member of 17 Pygmies, who I never got to play with, he's going to be coming on. So I'm very excited about that. So we have a few different things coming up. So inspired by you guys, as you know, we decided to go through the whole independent um, project of records catalog from beginning to end. And we're up to nine and 10. So it's taken a while to schedule. So um, yeah, those should be coming up shortly. Community FK will be next. Mm -hmm. And where can people find that, Jeff? So that is strictly YouTube. So um, you, if you go onto YouTube and look up Independent Podcast Review, you could find us there. And I know that the um, official uh, independent music or independent project music or records music page are also shared as well. So YouTube is a place to go for that. Um, as far as Paisley Stage, we try to put that everywhere. So that is definitely... Um, that's definitely easy. Should be easy to find on Apple Music, iTunes, um, YouTube, Spotify. That should be everywhere. Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. Right on. Hey, thanks so much for being on our podcast today. It was really great having you both. Yeah, what an honor. Thank you guys. Thank we you. We are truly honored. We've been very excited about this, Soraya. <laughs> this, this was a ton of fun. Yeah, yeah, and I'm a huge, huge fan of You Don't Know Mojack. So having you guys on our show is definitely an honor, and this is equally uh, an honor as well. And talking about a band that we really love a lot, and uh, some of the, these members, um, especially Vetus, I have a, um, much love for him. So um, it's good to um, be talking about this band that we definitely feel passionate about. And thank you guys for doing this and, and, and having us be a part of this yeah. one. Absolutely. Hey, Ryan, what's next week? Next week, Brant, we're going back to Seattle. It's SST 231, the Soundgarden Flower EP. Wow, that's going to be a great one. Yeah. Couldn't agree more. Hey, everyone, thanks for listening. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Tumblr, all at Mojack Pod. We post all kinds of info and tons of pictures of the bands and albums we discuss on the show. Our blog is mojackpod.com. Please check it out for some exclusive content. If you like what we do and want to support the podcast, the best way to do that is to tell your friends about the show. Subscribing, rating, and reviewing on iTunes is also appreciated. We love hearing your opinions, corrections, and feedback, so feel free to post on our social media sites and send us an email to mojackpod at gmail.com. Thanks again for all the support, and we hope to see you next week.